Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Bill Hader on the end of Barry and the beginning of a very promising directing career. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, another great guest on the pod this week, guys. First time guest, shockingly enough, Bill Hader, though I've known Bill for many years, uh, has never done the pod before, but this was a great occasion for it is the, it is sadly the end of Barry. Four years on HBO coming to an end quite soon. Uh, we get into the entire run of Barry and what has come before the SNL days and what's to come uh, in the future in a what I just alluded to, a very exciting potential directing career. Um, well, we'll get to that in a second anyway. Bill Hader is the main event on Happy, Sad, Confused. Other things to remind you about, tell you about, well, we have the live events continue. We uh, I've mentioned this before, but just to mention it again because it is uh, a big one. Tickets are available to me and John Cena. Yes, John Cena live in New York City, May 15th. You can also watch this one virtually if you can't be there in person. But uh, if you can, come on out because this is going to be a great one. Um, John Cena talking all things Fast uh, X, Fast 10. I still can't figure out what to call it. Um, and Peacemaker and his entire acting and wrestling career. It's going to be a great great night. Many more events coming up, at least one that I know will be a very hot ticket, so I'm not going to say much more except to say this is a good segue into the Patreon, because Patreon, folks, get the early access, get the discount codes, so if you want to get in on what is going to be a very, very hot ticket very soon you might want to enroll in Patreon now if you've been contemplating it. Patreon.com slash Happy Sad Confused. Uh, you get all the early access, all the um, the bells and whistles, ask a question, um, announcements, uh, um, uh, discounts, uh, swag, all the all the cool stuff. So check it out. Um, and yeah, you will not be sorry because there's some really, really cool live events coming up. Um, other things to mention, God, we, I've stockpiled a lot of really amazing conversations. I'm actually kind of ahead of the curve in a way, though so ahead of the curve and we've stockpiled so many that we're going to be continuing to run uh, two episodes a week at times. But here's what you can count on, guys. Every Thursday, I've been very diligent about this, not to pat myself on the back, but the last couple months, every Thursday, you can count on a new happy, sad, confused, and as I was just saying, many Mondays too, we're dropping bonus episodes. So I will say we've got, uh, let's see, how can I tease some of the stuff coming up? Well, we've got a Marvel superhero coming up. We've got a new addition to the Marvel Universe. Who am I kidding? Every actor is in Marvel now, so you can say that about everyone, but we've got two uh, ones I'm very excited about, one returning champion, one new to the podcast. Um, look, I, I'm just going to say it. Uh, our buddy Sam Hewen has some stuff coming out soon. A movie, a little TV show called Outlander. So you might want to, yeah, you might want to be aware of that. Um, more Last of Us content coming up that you guys are really going to be into. If you dug that show, you're going to be very excited about. Um, maybe another guest from The White Lotus coming on up. Uh, and that's just the stuff that's actually been booked. I mean, this is a, you know, 
This is a fluid situation, guys, but I want to give you a little bit of a tease for all the fun stuff that is coming up. Um, I'm very excited because, look, we're only in April, but I'm already looking to the summer. I'm looking to Comic-Con. I'm looking to um, some big world premiere events that I will be covering for MTV uh, that I will take you guys along for the ride on. One in Europe. I'm not going to go much more specific than that. I don't want to go too specific yet. But in May, I will be uh, visiting um, one of my favorite cities for a ginormous event and I will give you the blow by blow on that one very soon uh, and some other really exciting things also potentially coming around this summer so gonna be a busy time come along on all the Josh Horowitz adventures remember to review rate and subscribe spread the good word um, anyway okay so back to Bill Hader Let's go to him right now, but before I do that, just a little preamble. No real big spoilers in this conversation. We taped this a few weeks back. Um, I have seen, I will say, the first seven of eight episodes of the final season of Barry. They're fantastic. I, one of my favorite shows on TV. If you have not gotten on the Barry bandwagon, get in on it now. Um, exceptional performances from everybody in the cast, um, including Bill and Henry Winkler, amazing, Sarah Goldberg, the, uh, they're all fantastic. Um, so no big spoilers in this. Uh, there, we, we talk a little bit about a cameo that's in, in the show in the first few episodes, but uh, I don't think it's going to ruin your enjoyment. Um, but this, this is a fun conversation because Bill, of course, is one of the funniest human beings on the planet, and I've done some amazing sketches. I'm not uh, patting myself on the back. I'm saying they're amazing because of Bill over the years. But this was a chance to really get kind of like more geeky on the filmmaker side of things because Bill has directed all eight episodes of the season of Barry. He's directed episodes of from all the seasons, but this time he did all eight, which is kind of insane. Um, but it really shows how committed he is, how serious he is, how talented talented he is. And as we talk about in the conversation, um, I, I know for a fact that the future directing uh, career of Bill Hader is one to watch. Think, think what happened with Jordan Peele um, when you think about what we're going to see in the, on the filmmaker side of things with Bill Hader. It's, it's going to be really exciting. So I'm thrilled for, the, for this last season of Barry. I'm excited to see the finale along with the rest of you. Um, and even more than that, I'm, I'm thrilled for what he's going to bring to the big screen because at his heart, he is just a gigantic film geek and loves movies in particular. So um, to see what he does there is really, really exciting. And I don't even know what it's going to be, but I know it's going to be cool. So, um, okay, that's all the preamble you get. Enjoy my conversation with actor genius comedian, comic actor, writer, director, um, man of many talents. Uh, this is the one and only Bill Hader. Enjoy. Welcome officially to the podcast for the very first time, Bill Hader. Despite our many chats, you've never done the, the long form soul searching deep dive. So I appreciate yeah. the time. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. So where are you at? This is, we were just saying when you hopped on the Zoom, this must be kind of an unusual time. Like, presumably it's all wrapped. It's done. I've seen the first seven episodes. Um, well, it, yeah. it is, it, it's not fully done. It's, it's, uh, we are, um, so we're mixing right now. So we, the episodes you saw, only one through five were completely done, done. And then six, uh, seven and eight were still uh, mixing. 
and uh, doing visual effects on. Yesterday I had a visual effects meeting and we realized our next meeting is our very last one. And everyone got real sad because I love Laura Hill and our visual effects team are just amazing. So, you know, it's it's just, we're coming up to that stuff. We have my last color yeah. correction with Carl Hersey, the director, um, and Dave, the colorist, we're just beautiful people. And so it's it's all it's just been a series of these kind of bittersweet of little goodbyes and yeah, 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 goodbyes, you know, so it's tough, but then it's nice that, you know, uh, people seem to like the show who've seen it. So that's, it's really nice. Well, talk to me a little bit about, let's go back to the beginnings of Barry for a second, because when you launched this with Alec there, I mean, I'm sure you must've had the concern that like, were people going to accept it? considering yeah. your track record, your history, primarily, you know, known primarily for comedy, for SNL, et cetera. Were you gratified, shocked that the critics, the audience received it in the way it was intended in that first season? Yeah, I was very surprised. Um, I mean, I knew I liked it, but I don't, you know, you very, you don't know, as I've learned on SNL, you can like something, but it doesn't mean the audience is going to really enjoy it. But the only way I can really do anything is you just try to do it for yourself and what's right for the story. And, you know, hopefully people will, will like it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was really surprised, you know, and it's funny too, because at, at that time, uh, everyone was like, wow, this is really dark. Right. <laughs> and now if you go back now, to the first oh, season, please. it's, 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 it's like full house. Yeah. It's no, full it's house like... compared to where it went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is, it is, it is interesting. Yeah. Is part of that where the story just had to go dictated by the characters and the arcs or part of it, is it part of it like having kind of like, Oh, I know I have license to do that now. They're willing to go on this journey. Yeah. With I mean, it, it was more of the former thing, you know, it's, yeah. it's your, your, the characters are going in a certain direction. And I, I think from the get go, we never wanted the show to feel the violence to feel funny or glib or, um, you know, that's why, you know, Janice Moss in the first season dies and, and it was very, for me, I was like, you have, we have to be reminded of Janice Moss for the whole series, you know, her name comes up every yep. episode, you know, and, um, and, and because when someone dies, you don't forget them. So it affects so many people for forever. So, uh, I thought it illustrated what Barry has been doing to people very well, um, and to hold on to that, but by virtue of that, yeah, it's it's hard to then mine comedy out of out of things that don't want comedy. It is interesting. You kind of will will sometimes try to put comedy into a thing, and the and it just kind of gets spit right out at us. And then sometimes the scenes that usually work is we'll write it very straight. Um, a good example is this season. There's there was a scene where. Uh, Noho Hank and, and Cristobal had to do a pitch to a bunch of, of uh, criminals. And, and they initially was written in like a warehouse. And there was like, and the joke was more that there was food laid out for them. And it was this kind of thing. And, and then Duffy Boudreaux and I read it and we worked on it. And it just was like a very straight scene of them pitching this thing to these crime guys. And then you start to do kind of um, you write it straight and then you kind of do like a mystery science theater on it, you know, where mm -hmm. you can do with movies where you just start to, 
you know, make snide comments or make surreal, like stupid comments. And then, um, and then it turned into us going, well, if this was at Dave and Buster's, and I was like, oh, what was a Dave and Buster's? And what if we did this thing in you in it's in the show now? But that tends to be a thing where it works, you know. Uh something like Sally being attacked last at the end of last season, there shouldn't be anything funny in that. You know, yeah. you can't really make that funny, but it's honest, you know. So uh, when people talk about the tone of the show, I'm I, I kind of just see it as honesty, you yeah. know, what's honest. One thing that people are going to discover as they watch these episodes is your name crops up a lot in the credits. You are directing every single episode this season, which is, yeah. um, you're no idiot, Bill Hader. You knew this was going to probably break you. This was this. I mean, this is a lot. This is a, an yeah. undertaking. I definitely have more weight. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I put on like 20 pounds uh, <laughs> between season three and season four. Yeah, just from the sheer uh, uh, stress of it all. But um but yeah you know it i i you know aida rogers our, our great producer kind of came to me at the end of season three and said you know i think you should direct them all because it doesn't matter if we had martin scorsese directing them you would be behind their back going no no no, it goes over here no that needs to go you know i would i right. just i i uh you know i think it'll be faster if we can do it this way you know and much more efficient did you ever, you do have, um, speaking of great filmmakers, you have, uh, I don't think, I think we can say this, right? Guillermo pops yeah, in Guillermo there. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro, yeah. Is in, he has a cameo This in one of the early episodes. Yeah, he's great. Amazing. Um, did you did you ever ask like someone in the likes of him? I mean, you had some amazing directors. Let's not, no, no slouches that have directed the episodes throughout the, the, the years. But did you ever ask like a feature prominent director like Guillermo, Edgar Wright, et cetera, to like try their hand at an episode? No, no, probably because... Uh, I would drive them nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I think that's the honest answer. Is I would be like, ah, uh, uh, sure you want to? As you know, season one I was better because season one I wasn't that bad, and then season two got a little worse. <laughs> <laughs> then by season three, I think I just drove Alec crazy because it was right. like, I good good you did you know. You know, once you got down to like, why are you on a 50 millimeter lens? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which He's for me the... is like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that that's something you would use to, you know, 50 millimeter to me is like, you know, trying to, you know, a 20, a, a 200 millimeter lens or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, that's something NASA needs to see the craters on Mars <laughs> or something. I, I, I tend to like things that are a little wider. It does feel like an amazing just it, to look at your progression as a filmmaker through this series is pretty remarkable. And what struck me in the episodes I saw, what people have talked a lot about in pre previous seasons, you know, the runners, the Ronnie and Lily's episode, et cetera. And this season, like, I feel like actually a lot of restraint from you as yeah. a director, um, a lot of confidence and restraint and like knowing the power of holding a shot on an actor's faces. You're in love as you should be with your actors and your actors' yeah. faces, yeah, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. I do, do think, yeah. I think that I think the actors this season. Uh, yeah, it's hard not to. You know, you it, it is a bit of confidence, and it is just well, what tells the story? Yeah, you know, and and I think a lot of that comes from a love of old movies too. You know, watching a lot of old films, and you would walk look through them and kind of count setups. 
you know, if you watch a scene in an old movie and go, okay, they changed the angle there, they changed the angle, you know, they only really, it's like four setups right there. And it's really intense, amazing scene. You don't need a lot of coverage. Right. Um, and so I think that's something that's really important. And, uh, and, and so it was having the confidence to just tell the story and try to tell the story through shots. Um, that, that was very, you know, that's kind of, it's very like kind of Italian. I mean, I guess everybody does it, but I always think of the Italians for some reason of like, you know, the, the shot can kind of tell the story um, of all those, like those great Italian movies in the fifties and sixties. I was watching a lot of those um, during the pandemic and um, all those Polish filmmakers too tend to do that as well. You know, Andrzej Vida, his early movies are, I really love that's all to say I will do all this and I will work really hard at it. And I'll have all these very like cool esoteric influences. And then I watch it in the mix and I go, geez, I like the Coen brothers. <laughs> sure. And the way they Barry Sonnenfeld <laughs> no will throw that camera around. And yeah, yeah, yeah totally. there's no way I'm ever yeah. going to escape that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just, it's me watching SNL and going, gosh, I like Phil Hartman. You know what I right. mean? It's just right. so cool. <laughs> For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college was not exactly a high point in our academic careers. I know it wasn't for me. I tried Italian, I tried French, and none of it stuck. But now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. I'm doing Italian because I love to travel and I love going to Italy and I want to engage the culture in a little bit of a more profound and meaningful way. And yeah, I want to be able to order better in Italian restaurants, okay? Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new lesson and language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Plus, you can choose from over 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. They've got lessons that you can access, podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free, guys. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code HSC. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code HSC. Hey, guys, I'm thrilled to talk about our sponsor this week on Happy, Sad, Confused. It's HelloFresh which makes my life easier and puts the right kind of food in my body in a timely fashion without all the aggravation of long lines at the grocery store and hard-to-follow instructions. No, with HelloFresh, they take the hassle out of mealtime by delivering pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-prepare recipes right to your door. You can skip those checkout lines and you can actually get outside and enjoy the nice weather this season. HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on their toes, too, with 40 recipes and over 100 seasonal and convenience items to choose from each week. With so much variety, there are options literally for everyone in every single lifestyle. And with HelloFresh, 
you're getting seasonal ingredients picked at the peak ripeness for quality that you can taste and count on. Ingredients travel straight from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know they're actually fresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash HSC50 and use the code HSC50 for 50% off. Plus, your first box ships free. That's right. Go to HelloFresh.com slash HSC50. Use that code HSC50 for 50% off. Use HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Without revealing much, there's there's some big narrative swings in the season. Um, and... I think one, I know you say you don't watch a lot of TV, but back in the day, I can't imagine something like Twin Peaks isn't an influence in some way on you. You know, I, I, I have, I saw the first season of Twin Peaks when I, uh, my friend Mark Pilvinsky's house, uh, uh, when I was in my early twenties and I don't really remember a whole lot of it, but I do love, uh, so Twin Peaks is not really, but I do love David Lynch. I, I mean, I would say Blue Velvet. It was a massive movie when I saw it. it Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, were uh, huge. Yeah. Well, there's huge. there's something to that that underbelly in Blue Velvet, right? That kind of like underneath the surface, you yeah, just have to scratch at it, and then there's like the most perverse. Yeah, I felt like the end of season three last year, like the the stripper and crystal ball, like that whole thing. When I watched it, I was like, Oh, this feels very David Lynchy in a weird way. You, um, in one of the early episodes, uh, you direct Sarah, Sarah's character through what seems like a panic attack, a full on yeah. panic attack. She goes through in the car. And look, we've talked a lot about your issues with anxiety over the years. It's oh, going to yeah. always be a constant issue in your life. I guess what's, what's it like for you as a director directing another actor through something that I would imagine you've probably gone through in yeah. your life. <clears throat> Well, Sarah is so good that you can just say, have a panic attack. And I think the thing I've learned and I try to stick to it and I, I, I'm bad at it sometimes is you try to let the actor on their first take, just do their thing. Sure. And then you come in with notes and you try to make the notes simple. This is my goal. <laughs> I screw it up all the time. Even we just did reshoots a couple months ago, and I immediately gave one actor way too many notes, and they said, "Can you please stop it with the notes?" Right, right, right. <laughs> and then, and then one actor, I gave him a, a big note before they did their first take, and then I went, I had to go over and be like, "Okay, forget what I said. Yeah. Just do what you were gonna do. I, I think I steered you in the wrong direction. Yeah, just know? a little faster. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah right. just a little faster. You know what you're doing. Let me just <laughs> yeah. get what I said. Um. But in that scene, it was a thing of like, let Sarah do it. And then it was like, <clears throat> you know, it's just a degrees. Like, she's so good. She comes up with a lot of stuff that you kind of go, oh, I like this. I like this. I think we could go a little bit. I think like, let's try one a little bit bigger. And then Romy, who plays her mother, you, <clears throat> you know, it's, you, you're just trying to find a fun juxtaposition between them. Yep. You know, and that's a good example of <clears throat> a scene that I had planned to be covered with a couple of different shots. And then when I, we shot the, the wide shot first and Gavin Kleintop and Car our first AD and Carl Hersey, the DP just kind of looked at me <laughs> knowing like, you know, the whole thing could just play in this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I don't think we need these other shots. Let's just do the insert of the phone. And then I think we can go, 
you know, and then you just kind of call it. Uh, but, but that is, that, that would not have been, I would not have been like that season one, right? you know, or, or possibly even season two, I still would have shot everything. I think what's also gratifying for folks that are going to come back to this after having mm. watched the first three seasons, and this was evident in the first season, but I think it really struck me watching this season is yes, the name of the show is Barry, but this is such an ensemble show where you really have a full sense of these each of these ensembles lives and the damage that barry or themselves have done done to themselves and how they're mm-hmm. reckoning with the damage of the past three three seasons three years whatever time frame this yeah. is um i'm curious like i mean do you find that like they're all on the same journey in effect in season four like are it to, yeah. in broad strokes they kind of are all dealing with the same issues yeah 100 percent. yeah I, I always said like you know, this season, all the, all the characters have Barry's disease, you know, which is like, can't, I have this thing that keeps getting me in trouble, but is that who I am? Is that, is that a thing I can get rid of? You know, um, is that my nature or can I change it? You know? And, and I think what you'll see as the show goes on is that some, some way that you can change that is by acting is by trying to be someone else, you know, is, is putting up a persona of what you want to present to the world. And by putting that persona up, you can be that version of yourself that you want to be. Right. And it's like, can, how long can you sustain that? You know, is that something that you connect with on any personal level of trying? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely aspects of, of my personality I don't like, um, and you're always trying to to work through them. But, um, and I do, you know, as you get older, you know, real bad things happen to you. <laughs> and so you need we, to... We, we accumulate know, the bad shit in just the course of life. Shit, yeah. yeah, and it's kind of like, well, what do you do with it? Right. And when we're writing this show, there is like most of the people who work on the show are around my age, you know, or close to my age and have experienced this stuff. So they relate to, um, they relate to it, you know? So it's, it's a thing that you're, you're writing towards and it's, and, and everybody from the writers, you know, with Duffy Boudreaux and Liz Sarnoff or, or, you know, Aida Rogers and Gavin Kleintop and uh, and then our editors, Ali, Ali Greer and, and Frankie Gutman, while we're watching and kind of honing the story, it it's really helpful to have people go, that, that doesn't feel real. Right. You know, that just doesn't ring true to me, you know, or that that bumps me that he wouldn't have a reaction to that or that she doesn't care about that. And there is stuff in the show, I will say, by virtue that it's 30 minutes and there's a lot happening that you you do kind of gloss over things that, okay, in reality, this would be a full conversation or whatever. Sure. But but some of that is just storytelling, you right. know? Right. But the, the, uh, like you were saying before, it is about the emotional honesty. It's yeah, a big- emotional honesty is the most important thing. So. Yeah as long as it feels, it feels emotionally true and it comes from a place, basically you, you basically try to take something from your life or a feeling you've had in your life. And then you exaggerate it to a place that right. feels uh, entertaining, but it, it is, it could be something super small, 
but then you can make it a bigger deal, but it's still the same emotion. How, how often does um, Unforgiven come up in the writer's room? Because even as I was watching, even again, not revealing anything, but by end of episode seven, I'm like, I feel like we're yeah, about yeah. to like I mean, go Unforgiven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> episode seven is, yeah. <laughs> yeah that that's uh yeah it's it's it is it is it is uh i actually you know what unforgiven doesn't come up as much as it did early on and i don't know really? if the if the if the um um if the writers if a lot of the writers have even seen unforgiven you know i know <laughs> alec and duffy and i liked unforgiven um and i mean especially like the kind of ending of it and everything and that was really reflected at the end of season two right that taxi driver unforgiven thing but and, and for know, the audience that may may have been a minute since they've seen unforgiven which is essentially about this character played by clint eastwood william money who is who is denying or, or, or trying to escape who he was his nature we're talking yeah, about yeah, right yeah, and, yeah. And, and his nature is he's a stone cold killer he's a yeah. motherfucker of a killer yeah. and and it ends and, and i remember this when i was a kid watching it in this kind of like catharsis where he kind of returns and becomes with what he was. And the weird part was the audience kind of cheered, but like, it was like a, it was like a, yeah, it wasn't, a great moment. Get it. Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. It was like, you wanted to, yeah. There's parts of the audience that really just wants to see Clint Eastwood, like blow away some. Blow up. Yeah. Like, and the, the idea that was powerful to me about that movie was you grew up, it's very much for a certain generation, but if you grew up watching a lot, like Clint Eastwood movies were on TV constantly and you yep. watch a lot of Clint Eastwood movies and it was always him blowing people away indiscriminately. And for him to make a movie kind of commenting on that and going like, yeah, okay. The, the real version of this is a guy who's very lonely and very sad and, uh, and hates himself. Right. I and mean, that's the real version of it. Yeah. You know? And and so for me early on, it, it was like, oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested in exploring that. But if that guy, if William Money went and hung out with the people from Waiting for Guffman, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> that was the initial thought, you know. Amazing. Hey guys, I'm thrilled to tell you about one of our sponsors today. This is Masterclass, something I've been using for a long while. This is an amazing opportunity for you guys because with Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. I've used this myself many times. You wanna learn about acting from Samuel L. Jackson? How about directing classes from the likes of, I don't know, Spike Lee, Martin Scorsese, Jodie Foster, Werner Herzog? They're all there. Over 180 of today's most brilliant minds are available anytime, anywhere, on an iOS, Android, desktop, Apple TV, Amazon, Fire TV, Roku, you name it, you can access Masterclass and you can digest these in in small uh, increments. You can go at your own pace. There are these amazing supplemental materials that are available. Um, this is the best deal in town, guys. I truly, truly use and love this service and couldn't recommend it more highly. So you can get unlimited access right now to every class and as a happy, sad, confused listener, you can get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash HSC now. That's masterclass.com slash HSC for 15% off Masterclass.
So this is arguably the, the the second biggest professional closure, ending of a chapter in your life. And, yeah. you know, in some ways, though, to me, it feels like as much of it's an ending, it's really kind of the launching pad for what seems to be the inevitable next phase of your career, which is to be filmmaker, storyteller, a director, which correct me if I'm wrong, that's the aspiration. That's that's the next. Yeah, path, yeah. Right? That was always thing I was most interested in. Yeah. So do, do you but on any level, do, do you feel any similar feelings through what you went through at the end of SNL to what you're feeling now? Or does it feel by virtue of what it is totally different? Yeah, it's it's, you know, SNL was was, you know, you were part of a bigger machine and uh, and SNL was hard because the work at SNL by the end, especially it was always, I think, consistently very hard for me, which I've talked about a lot. And I always want to make clear you know, people were nice. It wasn't like the place was mean or whatever. It was my own personal mental problems making the the show. Uh, doing live comedy every week was was very tough on me uh, mentally. And so I was very happy that that was going to be over with, but I was horribly sad at having to say goodbye to all these people I'd worked with so closely for eight years. Um, so it was very bittersweet in that in that way. And I was I was moving. I was moving to Los Angeles from New York, so it was a giant shift. Um, and in Barry, it, it it's a, a a different feeling of oh, thank God I got to tell this story and write the end at the at the of, of the story, and I'm I'm very proud of it. But it's a similar bittersweet thing of oh, I don't get to go and work with these great right. actors and and crew you know we, we have our, our, our premiere on um sunday mm-hmm. and we're going to we have a big premiere event and you know i know like that that could be the last time i see some of these people you know and it's it's uh i'm you know i'm i'll, I'll, I'll probably be very emotional because i really you know you you sit there and i could sit in my room and come up with a story and you can write you know in your room um uh oh uh barry takes a motorcycle and this whole motorcycle chase happens and we it's on a freeway and you right. write this all up and then it's like this massive t- effort of shutting down a freeway and like <laughs> getting all these people and, and all these technicians and these artists and all these brilliant people yeah you know to help you with your idea and it's and so it can go from that to the close-up of Sarah Goldberg at the end of season three, when Barry's telling her like Barry Berkman did this and you have that moment, which we didn't write. It just happened in the moment. And, and you go, I can't believe uh, this actress uh, is going there for me. Right. For my idea, you know, she's going there for it. And so I'm always so appreciative uh, so that 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 kind of love and respect I have for all the, all the people who work on the show that's the hardest thing saying goodbye to all of them. I, I'm I confess I'm really not sure what your directing career is going to look like, I, and I say that as an exciting thing. Like I'm not sure. Like and when we talk in my ten years about like the last three films you directed, uh-huh. you know, you know, like like do you have in your mind like a very specific kind of path you're going down? Like Jordan Jordan Peele, you know, to use the kind of the analogy, like he decided on a very specific kind of lane and he's oh, killing yeah. it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. are you like, wedded yeah. to to a very specific kind of lane of film um, of that you want to make as a as a director? You know, I always 
you know, I have three ideas and they're all very different, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think it'd be interesting to, you know, as an actor, I always like to swerve a bit where you would, you would do something like super bad and then be in, you know, uh, skeleton twins and sure. then it too, you know, and, and it, it's fun to kind of do different things. Um, but I wrote a, a feature film during the pandemic with Duffy Boudreaux, who's a writer on the show. He's also my best friend. We've known each other since we were 15. And, uh, and then he and I are, had two other ideas. One is kind of hard to explain, but the other one was more of like Barry and Tome, but it, instead of a crime story, it's more of a horror story that I would mm -hmm. be in that one if we end up doing that one. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's like more interesting to, it's interesting to me to try because I like a lot of different things. And I think that's why I was kind of happy that Barry was ending because I'm like, oh, I like this. But I like to try the the people I always respond to were people who, you know, one of my favorite Scorsese movies is Age of Innocence. And I just remember going to see that in the theater. I, and I have that like, poster in the other room. I love Age yeah, of Innocence. I yeah. love that film so much. And I just remember yeah. seeing it. I mean, this is so fucking cool that he made this. I know. I mean, I just. <laughs> And that you, you you grow up and say the guy made Age of Innocence, the guy made Goodfellas, you know, and right. and, and Cape Fear and Kundun and Beer it's and, like come on Kundun, yeah, just the, the variety and the yeah. and but the consistency of the films were always was always there. So I I always I the dream would to have be have something like that, but like I've learned with my career, man, it's like. I can't, I moved to LA in 1999. I was like, I want to be a writer director and, and, you know, and then, you know, somehow six years later was on, you know, Saturday Night Live. Right. And, and I never considered that a thing or, or, or thing that would ever be possible, you know? So, and then I forgot Saturday Night Live and it's like, okay, I'm going to, the, the whole thing was like, you're going to be in movies. You're going to be in movies. You're going to be in movies. And then, it's an HBO show that brings me this. And it wasn't until the HBO show started happening that I was like, well, maybe I could direct some of these and direct, you know, up until that point, it was very, um, Oh, you're an actor. You're going to do that. So right. anytime I kind of go one way in my experience, something else comes in and then you go over here. And so not That's to mention, it wasn't it wasn't even like I feel like TV wasn't a director's medium until like the last five or ten years. It wasn't even considered yeah. like a place where directors could really show off and do and like tell narrative, own the narrative themselves. Right? Yeah, I mean, I will say point blank. I mean, the guy that I look at is Hiro Mirai. I mean, I yeah. remember seeing Atlanta and just going, yeah, the first time I watched a TV show and I went, who directed this? Right. You know, right. and right. how can we get him to direct episodes of Barry? <laughs> <laughs> You know, so yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I found him incredibly inspiring. I still find all his work so inspiring. Have you, have you taken the Marvel meeting, the James Gunn meeting? Like, is there a place for you in that world, whether as a writer, director, or actor that that you could see yourself in? Just because it, it is such a part of, such a yeah, giant part of the, the world. world. Yeah, I mean, I I always felt like they're make you know, it's all really great stuff i think i i again i never say never to any of these things but as of right now today i'm really interested in trying to have my own little corner of the sandbox to do my thing and and so 
any of those meetings, I, I really just don't want to waste anybody's time because I'm like, oh, I'd like to try to do this. Right. Like, let me try this. And I don't want to like, you know, uh, because the other thing you can do, I've learned because I've done it is you, you, you can really feel like you're, you're doing a lot of work um, in Hollywood and you're doing nothing. You're just taking meetings and you're developing like yep. tons of stuff. Yep. And years go by and you go, I, we haven't shot a single thing. Yep. Um, and so for me and the way my brain works, I have to be able to kind of just focus on one thing and see where that takes you. And if it takes you to a place that works great, if it takes you a place and you go, okay, I did that. Didn't really turn out the way I wanted it. Um, Oh, they'll have a meeting with me over here. You know what I mean? Right. And you go over there or you do a thing and something else happens from uh, a place that you didn't. It's kind of like what I said before. You just don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. my, my my attitude about that right now is like, I love what you guys are doing. But just, you know, for me, it's much more of a, of a, um, a personal, almost personal curiosity. Yeah. Oh, well, can I do, can I try this first, you know? I did go down the rabbit hole when I knew I was catching up with you from some of our sketches, some of our conversations. Our two sketches over the years are two of my favorites. Um, both of them somehow, and I don't know if I wrote this or you improvised this, both of them really involve you spitting a lot of things in my face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a ghost that haunts me when I inadvertently killed you. Um, yeah. And then you... you great um, costume. Great costume. <laughs> we, we were on a budget at MTV then. And then... And then you um you you ended up cutting off your own hand because you were so upset. I kept spoiling things for you, and you you spit in my face uh, multiple times. I don't really have a question except I miss doing the, those crazy that crazy shit with you. And I guess my question is, do you miss comedy? Like, I mean, obviously there's comedy yeah, in yeah, Barry, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, what yeah, what right. is that yeah. a hole that feels needs stuff. filling yeah. occasionally, or what or what? Like, I do sometimes. Yeah, you know, I got to do a part on on um. Curb Your Enthusiasm, where I played these three brothers. And that that was like a nice thing where it was like really big and broad and fun and silly. And you're getting to work with Larry David and, you know, yeah. it's so much fun, you know. But, um, but yeah, like, you know, and that might come back, you know. It's, it's some of these other ideas I'm playing with are much more fun, like just, you know, capital A comedy type of things. Right. And always think like the emotion has to be there. Right. You know, that's the, and that's always the, the balance of, of all that stuff. But, um, I will say I've been on a text thread since the first day of the pandemic. I've been on a text thread with Fred Armisen and John Mulaney, and it's been going on pretty much every day since, uh, for the last three years. And it's very funny. Was there, was there ever a consideration of having, I mentioned Keith Morrison at the outset, of having Keith Morrison or Josh Mankiewicz do a special Dateline episode dev devoted to the events of Barry. Oh, that would show. be funny. Oh, man. No, we never thought about that because I didn't want to... Cross the streams, basically. The spot. Yeah. yeah, I didn't want to, like... Yeah, you know, you just don't want to make <laughs> it too reverential of, like, oh, he used to play him on Saturday Night Live, right. and <laughs> you're disappearing up your own ass. A bit. But, uh, but I love those guys. I love John Josh Mack Mankiewicz so much because uh, I love Keith Morrison obviously, um, but I love Josh Mankiewicz because he uh, he always um, he always says uh, you didn't do that, did you? You know which I love. <laughs> do you have the phenomenon? Nine one one. You didn't do that, did you? 
<laughs> you must have the phenomenon of running people into people on the street that obviously want to reference Stefan and all the characters, but then they probably feel compelled for whatever reason to do their bad version of your own characters. Oh yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's happened before. Yeah, but it, it, it <laughs> and and like, are you there to judge them? Are you there to say? I just go, oh, that's good. Yeah. But, you know, I've done that, too, though, where I've met somebody. I mean, I've at SNL and you would say, oh, remember when you said the, you know, and then you're doing it, you know. So right, right. I've, I've I've been guilty of that, too. And I get really kind of starstruck by somebody it's like, remember when you did the thing where sure. <laughs> I think I did it to Martin Short recently. And he was like, yes, Bill, I was there. I recall. Yes, exactly. I recall. When I did the thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I actually, I, I did a thing with Martin Short the other day and I had to restrain myself from going full Jiminy Glick on him because. That's... Oh yeah. Yeah. The Jiminy Glicks were classic and I showed my kids Clifford and they were like, this is the darkest, weirdest movie I've ever seen. They loved <laughs> Speaking of how is the education of the children in terms of film classics? Are they, are they on the same page with you? Have you had oh, some yeah, differences? Yeah. The other. The other day we watched um, Rear Window, and when it started, they were like, "Ugh, this movie's old." And then by the end of it, they were, you know, like that the whole time, and they were freaking out. It was so fun. And I watched this old John Sturgis movie called Jeopardy, with Barbara Stanwyck, and uh, I had this. My my kids had a big slumber party at their house, at my house, their house, my house, and. Uh, and uh, they were upstairs and I was downstairs watching a movie and slowly the the kids were coming down there watching the movie with me. And it was really sweet. There was their friend. They're going, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Because it's kind of a thriller. Yeah. And that was really nice. You know, that was really sweet, you know, to that that good storytelling. Nothing trumps good storytelling. Right. You know? do, do you feel any resentment that all the emotional connection audiences felt with BB-8? seems to have been transferred to Grogu in recent years. Like you were, you and Ben Schwartz were, were responsible to some degree for BB-8's sweetness and, and charisma. And now that little twerp has taken yeah. it all from you. Well, I don't know what Grogu is. Um, you don't know, you haven't watched Mandalorian? I don't watch anything. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, but no, I, I will say, uh, I always say BB-8, that's like, it's it's kind of a it, I don't know why I mean it's very sweet that JJ Abrams put my name on it but I I came in and did stuff like voice stuff for it that didn't work and then he brought <laughs> me in later and said hey do you want to do this it was right. like a Peter Hampton talk box thing and then I did that and the reason he hasn't had me come back to do other because anybody can do that it really is <laughs> like it's like a machine that you can operate right so it's not like I did some voice stuff that just didn't didn't work you know right um so i don't know i'm not really sure what ben did but i mean i just know they that was what that was my experience doing it so it is weird that i did that and i, I get asked about it still and you know we'll be on location and there'll be these guys with these little bba bba dolls oh, you'll sign them or whatever yeah i do not sign them i don't sign them. <laughs> I, just, I will not, I'm not signing them i'm not signing them <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Bad uh, autograph people don't like me. I don't. I won't sign things. Really? What's the what's what are the do's and anything or is it a specific kind of characters you just not? 
I just don't sign anything because they use it. I just don't. You know what it was? I had a real, I, I used to sign stuff. And then one time I saw somebody and they had their kid come up to me to sign a BB-8 thing. And it was three in the morning. I was leaving the Inside Out premiere. And then we went to like an after party thing and it was super late. And they, yeah. I kept his kid up all night. He's like, go over there. So he'll sign it so I can sell it online. That's fucked up. Yeah. And I was like, that's fucked up. And so yeah. I, now I just kind of blanket, like I'm not signing any of this shit. Yeah. No, I respect it. All right, let's end with uh, some really uh, important, provocative questions. This is the happy, sad, confused, profoundly random questionnaire. You ready, Bill? Yep. All right. Dogs or cats? Dogs. What do you collect? I I, I collect Blu-rays, uh, DVDs, and books. Physical media. Come on. Sometimes yeah. the cloud will the cloud will disappear one day. And where are cloud we going to be? Cloud is going to disappear. During the pandemic, I went a little crazy and just bought so much stuff because I was like, if the internet somehow goes down, <laughs> I'm going to have to have where, to be able. Where's my Hudsucker proxy able, DVD? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have to be able to watch uh, A Man Escaped by Rassam now. <laughs> Yeah. When Criterion goes down, Criterion I mean, yes. goes down. How, how, yeah, I've got to be able to watch, you know, and I, now I just, anytime I like a movie, I buy it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the wallpaper on your phone? Uh, <clears throat> it's a picture of my kids. That's the correct answer. Would you ever skydive? No. <laughs> Hell no. Would you rather have dinner with Vin Diesel or Daniel Day Lewis? Daniel Day Lewis. Um, what's the last actor you were mistaken for? I'm always mistaken. Well, I always was mistaken for Rain Wilson. Uh, and then the last actor I was mistaken for, uh, was, uh, uh, Dennis Quaid and Meg, Meg Ryan's son. Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. Uh, and I was like, that guy is way skinnier than I am. <laughs> that guy is in shape. And he's like half my age. Please do not tell him. <laughs> like, I'm very, I'm really like, that's awesome. You know? Yeah. That's a great compliment to him that he looks like me. Cause that would suck. <laughs> Please don't tell him he looks like me. <laughs> came up to me and goes, I love the boys. And then he got, and then he went like this, Oh, wait. <laughs> He got close. He, oh, no, never mind. He got close. He went, oh, shit. Never mind. Oh, God. Yikes. What's in the briefcase at the end of Pulp Fiction? Oh, I think it's a giant Wonka bar. <laughs> Big golden ticket. That's why they're so freaked out because it's just like a golden ticket. Oh, yeah. And it's like, they just closed. It was like, we're going to have to go to the factory. What a sequel that would have made. Yeah. What's the, what's the most annoying thing about you, according to your kids? <clears throat> according to my children oh man that's a laundry list uh, <laughs> uh that's too many um i don't give them probably i don't give them fair warning about anything i kind of just okay. go like we're going here but get off that you know <laughs> it's like you gotta give me five minute warning that i have to wrap up this phone call please don't just yeah. come in you know so I, I i relate to that too as a kid i remember my parents coming in and being like get off the phone you're like can i just have five minutes yeah. <laughs> all right finally in the spirit of happy sad confused uh an actor that makes you happy bill 
on an actor that makes me happy. Yeah, when they show up on screen, you you're, you're in for a treat. Oh man, um, an actor that makes me happy. Uh, there's so many. That's why it's like my brain just froze. <laughs> too many. There's too many. There's too many. Uh, that but I you know I I uh, um I really love Diane Keaton. Yeah. I, I, Diane Keaton in the seventies. No one is better than Diane Keaton, and, and I've met her before, and I just I just don't know what to say to her. Yeah. I think she's still just amazing. I love anything she any Diane Keaton's in something. I'll, I'll watch it. I just think she's amazing. Yeah, and there's no one like her. Like she's on her own wavelength, right? She's just on like, her own wavelength. Frequency. Yeah. Never seen any anybody yeah. who could be in Love and Death and Sleeper and and in any hall, but then is also in The Godfather, and then was right. in Red. And then shoot the moon. That movie, she's unbelievable in that movie. So she's just somebody that I've I've always just really admired. Yeah, just forever. I think Love and Death was one of the first movies I ever committed to to, to my brain. Yeah, just like new, but, yeah, yeah. Wheat fields of wheat. Um, yeah. what 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 movie makes you sad? Oh, makes me sad. Um, I mean, the obvious one is Come and See. That's a really hard watch. Uh, but it's great. Um, and I really love the film. Uh, a, a movie I cry at is a movie called Kess. That's a British okay. movie called Kess. Okay. Movie, movie gets me. And finally, what food makes you confused? Makes me confused. Yeah. I would say anything. I would say a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because it can kill me because I'm a nut right. allergy. That's cause for confusion. So I'm, yeah. I'm confused of how this thing could have so much power over me. You know? <laughs> And how every like every 12 year old can eat it and how it can kill me. Yeah, it's just very I'm just easy to beat bad guy, you know, just they <laughs> just you put peanut butter on those things. And I just be like, I don't know, you know, it'd just be terrible. Well, I, I miss seeing you in person where you have the opportunity to, to spit in my face for a good cause. Well, next time you'll see it one time, you'll just be walking down the street and something will hit you in the face. And that'll classic, be me. <laughs> classic hater. Um, everybody should check out Going Out in Style, season four of Barry. Uh, I can't wait to see the finale, man. Congratulations. Uh, take a breather. Enjoy the moment. And uh, and I'm really honestly excited to see what comes next, man. Let's keep Thanks, talking. Man. I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks, man. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pushed to do this by Josh. <laughs>